little bit more today. We pray that, um, yeah, we would get a revelation of, of that. Corinthians, um, that's, the, that's the journey that we've started out on this year. And today we're going to finish off chapter one, which will be good. And um, last week, just wanted to recap uh, for you. Some of us weren't here, but we were asking ourselves the question, um, is Christ divided, right? Paul says that to the church in Corinth in his letter. He says, is Christ divided? Should there be divisions in the church? And what does it mean for us to live united as Christians today, right? And so we discovered very quickly that there are many divisions in the church, right? We can't get away from that. Some of us like to shop at Coles. Some of us like to shop at Woolworths or Aldi or, or none of those places and, um, and so on. And we talked about, you know, some trivial differences that are among us. Right, and we can draw those lines in uh, between us. And then we talked about some more serious divisions as well, <laughs> that are very real and very present in the church, and um, everything from ethnic divides through to, um, you know, our our uh, political preferences and and uh, styles of worship and so on and so forth. And we talked about those, and we talked about how every single one of those things must become secondary. To, to the one who unites us, which is Jesus, right? He's our priority. He's the one who gathers us together. And so in answer to the question, we discovered, is Christ divided? No, <laughs> he's not divided. And, and uh, because we, when we come into relationship with him, it, it's about him and it's not about us. And he's the one that draws us together and unites us. And so a saying sort of worth remembering when it comes to unity in the church and um, this is something I remember from a trip I took overseas. One of the churches used this. They were, they were a non-denominational church, right? Um, which is just so funny to just throw that into the mix of unity, right, in the church. But this is what um, they said in their membership class. They said, in essentials, we have agreement. In non-essentials, there's liberty. And in all things, there's love. And I just think, I just remember that it just... I, I just something I hung on to, you know, and I thought, gee, that's a good, um, good message and a good reminder and probably a good follow-on from what we looked at last week. And the, we finished by reading the Apostles' Creed um, last week and, and just a reminder that that's something that has united the church as well, these core articles of faith, core beliefs of the church throughout history. Um, these are still very good core beliefs that we all believe today as well, right? And, and we need to focus on what unites us and on who unites us in a time that is sending us messages about being individuals and doing things our own way and, and living our own life. And so when we're in Christ, we get, we get his people as well. And, uh, and there's a lot of joy in that. And so that was last week. Today, we're going to be looking at um, the passage that Ash just read out for us a moment ago. And Paul starts to talk about what wisdom and power are, right, according to the message of Jesus. And in the city of Corinth, no, no less in the church in Corinth, um, there were displays of wisdom and power, and these were highly esteemed, you know. And, and Paul needed to bring a message to the church to remind them just what it means to be wise and powerful, right, and just who is um, wise and powerful according to the good news of Jesus Christ, and according to his word. And so once again, the mood of the city of Corinth was not unlike the mood of our culture today, right? Power and wisdom was to the highly esteemed. There was a lot of Yodas getting around, 
you know, speaking uh, wise, wise words. And, and um, one commentator says you could have found a wise person standing on, on every uh, street corner in, in the city of Corinth, right? This was kind of the place that it was. It was the place to go where you could hear messages of wisdom um, according to the world. The nobles, um, the, the highly esteemed, the educated, the intellectuals, the rich and the strong, they were all there, they were all present, and they all had their um, way of being wise and being powerful. These were the, the Jeff Bezos, or Bezos, however you say that, the Elon Musks of the city of Corinth, um, the Yodas, or whoever, whoever you can think of today that you think that, that seems to be, according to the world's standards, a wise and powerful person. It was anyone who displayed great intellect or the ability to explain things in a way that made sense of the experience of life. And so... Um, the key groups of people living in Corinth and also making up the church there were the Romans and Greeks or the Gentiles and then there were the Jews as well and both had their understanding of wisdom and power too. They had in their mind who was a powerful person or who was a wise person and both of groups were struggling with the Christian message and what the Christian message says is wisdom and power. And so as we start as we started reading in verse 18, we see that Paul starts to outline um, the way that for Christianity and for followers of Jesus, the cross of Christ and Jesus crucified is wisdom and power. And this was uh, a very uncommon message in the city of Corinth. And it's a very uncommon message in our culture today, right? The message that God wanted to bring to the world and the message that Paul preached was that um, God the creator, right, the eternal, the all-powerful, the ever-present, the unmatched one, right, this is who God is, he was willing to send himself in the form of his son to be crucified. And that does not sound very wise or powerful to the Greeks and the Romans and the Jews, right? And not only did they seem to be crucified, but to experience evil and judgment and human frailty and death, so that all of creation and every person could find restoration and relationship, you know, and the thing and, and, and the relationship with God that they were created for. This message, that's the gospel, right? This is the good news of Jesus Christ. That message was not a powerful message. It was not a, not a wise message, according to the people of Corinth. And so Paul is trying to remind them that actually this is exactly where power comes from. He says in verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, and he quotes Isaiah 29, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate, right? It, it did not make sense to the Yodas on the street corners, this message of Christianity. Verse 20, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world <clears throat> through its wisdom did not know him. 
God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached, right? The message of Christianity seemed foolish, that a powerful God would send himself to die on the cross for people who'd turn their backs to him, right? That seems like a foolish message to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So to the Jews, it was a stumbling block. And why was it? It's literally something they couldn't get past in their thinking, right? To be hung on a tree or on the cross was a curse, right? According to the Old Testament law, you can read it in Deuteronomy. And so they struggled with the idea that their Messiah, who they had very high hopes for as as Jewish people who were an oppressed group or the minority group, they were kind of hoping for their political uh, hero to come forth. They couldn't they couldn't uh, reconcile the idea that their saviour, their Messiah, would would end up on the cross. That he would grant them salvation through such a death. You know, it was not compatible with their with their wisdom, with what they thought was the right thing for the Greeks and Romans. A death on the cross was spared for the most con- contemptible people. You know, they couldn't fathom a saviour or a hero, no less God himself, um, you know, to be subjected to suffering like that. The hero was the one to them who displayed the most power. He was the one to them who, um, you know, was, was not going to be killed, was not going to end up crucified, was not going to be the one who was born in a lowly manger, you know, in humble conditions. That doesn't make sense. This was not according to their way of thinking and it was stupidity or foolishness to them. And Paul says in verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And I think what he's saying is this foolish thing about God's message, the cross, he says that's wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God, as in, as in the thing perceived to be weak about God's message, the cross, that's stronger than human strength. It has more power than what any, any human could do. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So Paul is saying here that if you thought that the wisdom of the world and influence and nobility are what makes you wise, then why did God choose a lowly birth for himself? You know, why did he lower himself out of heaven um, to be born in a lowly situation, you know, in the back blocks of Bethlehem? Why would God choose a display of weakness, such as being crucified, you know, as the core essence of what holds power for the Christian message? It says, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. These are things that the cross has secured for us, right? Our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption, and Paul elaborates on 
the wisdom of God as righteousness, holiness, and redemption. He's pointing to the cross again. He says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He's saying the message of Christianity is that God has secured salvation for us and the way he secured it for us actually disarms us of any power to secure it for ourselves, right? He he disarms us of um, any claim to strength and righteousness. Disarms us of any claim to wisdom. We're never gonna find salvation without the cross of Christ. That's what Paul is saying. And he's saying that's wisdom right there. And the lie of the city of Corinth and the lie of our culture today, isn't it? And you can, you know, whenever you see an advertisement, a good question to ask is what's the lie in this advertisement? (laughs) You know, it's worth looking out for. There's always a lie when you see an advertisement for anything, right? They always wanna trick you and make you believe in the lie, to make you buy their product, right? And the lie of our culture is, I'm gonna be fine on my own. You know, I can actually find salvation in my own way on my own. I don't need Jesus. And so if we wanna find relationship with our Creator, we have to humble ourselves, don't we? We have to accept that He's the one. It's only by Him. It's only by His grace. It's only by what He's done on the cross. Right Through the cross, He has made us righteous. Through the cross, He's made us holy. Through the cross, He has redeemed us. And we, we couldn't pay that price for ourselves. And so the seemingly foolish act of God is wiser than the greatest human act of wisdom. The seemingly weak act of God is stronger than the greatest human feat of strength. And Paul says in the start of chapter two, he says, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, and you could imagine, um, I don't know if you remember who Paul was, right? He was Saul. He was the terrorist of the church. And, and God shows up and, and uh, says, no, actually, you're not gonna do that anymore. I've got a life for you. And, and he basically just grabs Paul out of, out of his wisdom and out of his way that he thought it should be, you know, ruining this, this sect of Judaism. And he says, no, 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 no. This is, this is the way to go. And so Paul's experienced this, being grabbed out of his own earthly wisdom and put into the wisdom of God and only by the grace of Christ, only by the grace of God and the act of the cross. He says, so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So there's a lot of people today who still think the message of Christ and Christianity is unwise and foolish, right? It's mocked and shamed. And unfortunately, there's no shortage of um, examples of uh, Christians being hypocritical, right? Or or, or failing morally. And um, people use that as examples against the message of the cross and, and the message of Christ. But Paul reminds us there's two categories of people that he mentions at the start. He says, there's those who are perishing and there's those who are being saved. And depending on where you stand, you're gonna view the message of, of the cross of Christ differently, aren't we? Right, if you're perishing, it's just, it's foolishness. It's a stumbling block. It's something you don't wanna to have to get past, right? It'll be the thing that you can't get past. But if you're being saved, we know from our experience, it's the power and wisdom of God in our life. And so the type of questions we're asking ourselves today are, 
What does the example of Jesus taking up his cross have to do with my life? You know, if the cross of Jesus is the thing that displays God's wisdom and power, what paths am I taking in my life to gain wisdom and power and understanding? And so what are we to do? How does this apply to our life? In Mark's gospel, we see um, Jesus invites us to take up our own cross. And I think that's a fascinating idea. If the message of the cross of Christ is wisdom and power, you know, for our lives, if it's the path to salvation, Jesus invites us into that. He says, take up your own cross. And it's not just for our salvation, but I think it's for every hurdle in our life. In Mark chapter 8, um, there's this little conversation between Jesus and the disciples, and then, and then it zeroes in on Peter. Starting at verse 27, he says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. All right now remember, Peter the Jewish man, he's got his ideas about who the Messiah should be. He says, you're the Messiah, Jesus. And Jesus warned them, don't tell anyone about him. Not yet, right? He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. <laughs> He's, the, the Jewish, the passionate Jewish man is saying, hold on, if you're the Messiah, how, you know, it's not going to work out the way that I think it should, that you're going to go to the cross and be killed. Right? That's, that's not part of the plan, Jesus. What are you talking about? You know? And it says, when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with holy angels. So if we want to see wisdom and power in our lives... Not wisdom as, as in the wisdom of the world or not power as in the strength uh, uh, that comes with status and, and uh, powerful positions, but godly wisdom and godly power. You know, that's, that's, you know it's unmistakable when you, when you experience it. It prevails even while sort of undermining what would normally be wise to do in a certain situation. If we want that, we have to live in the way of the cross, right? We have to daily take up our cross and this applies to relationships. You know, I think of Ephesians 5 where Paul says, um, you know, he uses the example of husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. 
right? And, and what he really means is, what he's really saying is become a sacrifice for others, right? That's the, that, do what Jesus did for everyone. That's the way of the cross, right? And in that, there's wisdom and power for our relationships, loving others as we would normally love ourselves, right? And so if there's issues in our relationships, going the path of the cross is a good place to start. What sacrifice can I make for that person that I have an issue with? How can I show love to them in a self-giving way, right? What can I give up? What way would I normally show love to myself, but I could actually give that to the other person? That's the way of the cross. That's application for our relationships. You know, other ways is, um, that this applies is just considering what to do about all various manner of decisions we have to make. You know, problems that arise. And Isaiah 55, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Right, and a couple of examples came to mind. When Gideon is trying to lead the Lord's army, you know, and he's, um, uh, who's he fighting against? Does anyone remember? Is it the Philistines? I feel like it is. Well, let's say it is. And, he, and God tells him not to go with the sharpest swords that they have into battle, but he says, carry, is it pots, clay jars and, and torches, right, into the camp of the enemy, and when you get there, just give a shout and break the pots and, and, and you'll be fine, right? Not very wise idea to the commander of any army in that day. But this was God's plan, right? His ways are higher than our ways. And not to mention that crazy idea, right, in, in the wisdom of the world's eyes, but, but um, only go with 300 men, you know? He whittles down this great army that Gideon has with him just to, just to a few men, Right? It doesn't seem like the wisest thing to do, but it's, it's God's plan, right? And that's the, that's the thing that we need to seek after. I think of Joshua marching around the walls of Jericho, you know, once a day for six days and then on the seventh day, seven times and have the priests out in front and they'll just blast their trumpets and give a shout and everything will be good, right? This is a crazy plan, right? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem wise, but it's God's plan and so... We're not sure why something has happened or we don't know which path to take in life and we're seeking out God's plans for our life, you know, asking him and trusting him with what he, what he says, you know, with the conviction that he puts in our heart. Okay, maybe this is the way I need to go. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's the way of the cross. It's the wisdom of God in our life. They're not the natural way of doing things all the time. And often it's a way that will glorify him over and above what we could have done, right? That's usually how you know if you're on the path of, of what God wants you to do. This is a way that will only glorify him and it won't glorify ourselves. Are we, being the ones who, are we the ones who are being shaped? Like I talked about last week, you know, on, on, like, like clay in the potter's hands. Are we the ones being shaped? Because that usually is a, is a telling sign of whether we're on a, a wise path according to God and the way of Christ. There's an old hymn that I found in my uh, research this week and it's written by um, a lady called Jessie Pounds and um, it was written in 1906, The Way of the Cross Leads Home. And I thought, oh, that's a good one. We should, um, I, I should read it 
for you just as a way of closing. And, and uh, you know, this is the funny thing about the message of Christianity is the way of the cross is the way home. The way of the cross is the way for us to, to go and it's, it's different to what the world tells us and it's different to what you'll read on, on Instagram and social media and all the rest of it. But, and it's different to what you'll hear out there in the world, but it's, it's, the way of, it's the way of the cross, it's the way of Jesus. It says this, I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall never get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. And the chorus says, the way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know as I onward go, the way of the cross leads home. I must needs go on in the blood-sprinkled way, the path that the Saviour trod. If I ever climb to the heights sublime where the soul is at home with God, then I bid farewell to the way of the world to walk in it nevermore. For the Lord says, come, and I seek my home where he waits at the open door. The way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know as I onward go, the way of the cross leads home. And so I wonder about what you're going through this week and what's ahead of you in the week ahead. And I wonder what God's leading you to do and how you, where your relationships are at and what response you could make to this idea that the cross of Christ, that's where wisdom and power is found for our own lives. So let's pray. Let's respond to God. Let's see what he wants for us this week. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you that you set an example for us that is unlike any other. We thank you that you first just secured salvation for us in a way that disarms us of any need that we have to fulfill, that our salvation is secure in you and who, who you are and what you've done for us. And so we, we first just bring praise to you for that, God. We thank you for the cross and the way that you brought us righteousness, right standing before you. You brought us holiness, you know, to be able to be useful and set apart for you, God. And you brought us redemption. You paid the price for us, God. And we know that we could not have done that by ourselves. And that's a wise plan that only you could have created for us and for your people. And so we just first bring praise to you for that, God. And now, Lord, where we need wisdom, and where we need power in our lives to bring transformation in relationships and in decision-making and the paths that we're leading in this life, Lord, we ask, for, we ask for your wisdom. We ask for that same wisdom of the cross to be washing over our lives. And where that means we need to make sacrifices, I pray that you point that out. Where that means we need to give things up that we would normally like to do, I pray that you point that out for us, God. Well, that means we have to give up our preferences. Um, yeah, Lord, help us, help us to understand that in our relationships and in our, in our decision-making. And Lord, we call for wisdom and we ask for it, a special type of wisdom and a special path, kind of like the wisdom you gave to Gideon and to Joshua and to every other example in the Bible, Lord. We need that kind of wisdom for everyday life, Lord. Help us to know what to do and we place ourselves in your hands, God. We want to be shaped by you and that be the marker of our, our lives. 
Help us to follow the way of the cross. We pray that in your name. Amen. bit more today we pray that um yeah we would get a revelation of of that corinthians um that's the that's the journey that we've started out on this year and today we're going to finish off chapter one which will be good and um last week just wanted to recap uh for you some of us weren't here but we were asking ourselves the question um is christ divided right paul says that to the church in corinth in his letter he says is christ divided should there be divisions in the church, and what does it mean for us to live united as Christians today, right? And so we discovered very quickly that there are many divisions in the church, right? We can't get away from that. Some of us like to shop at Coles. Some of us like to shop at Woolworths or Aldi or, or none of those places and, um, and so on. And we talked about, you know, some trivial differences that are among us. Right, and we can draw those lines in uh, between us. And then we talked about some more serious divisions as well <laughs> that are very real and very present in the church and um, everything from ethnic divides through to, um, you know, our, our uh, political preferences and, and uh, styles of worship and so on and so forth. And we talked about those and we talked about how every single one of those things must become secondary to the one who unites us, which is Jesus, right? He's our priority. He's the one who gathers us together. And so in answer to the question, we discovered, is Christ divided? No, <laughs> he's not divided. And, and uh, because we, when we come into relationship with him, it, it's about him and it's not about us. And he's the one that draws us together and unites us. And so a saying sort of worth remembering when it comes to unity in the church and um, this is something I remember from a trip I took overseas. One of the churches used this. They were, they were a non-denominational church, right? Um, which is just so funny to just throw that into the mix of unity, right, in the church. But this is what um, they said in their membership class. They said, in essentials, we have agreement. In non-essentials, there's liberty. And in all things, there's love. And I just think, I just remember that it just... I just something I hung on to, you know, and I thought, gee, that's a good, um, good message and a good reminder and probably a good follow-on from what we looked at last week. And the, we finished by reading the Apostles' Creed um, last week and, and just a reminder that that's something that has united the church as well. These core articles of faith, core beliefs of the church throughout history, um, these are still very good core beliefs that we all believe today as well, right? And, and we need to focus on what unites us and on who unites us in a time that is sending us messages about being individuals and doing things our own way and, and living our own life. And so when we're in Christ, we get, we get his people as well. And, uh, and there's a lot of joy in that. And so that was last week. Today, we're going to be looking at um, the passage that Ash just read out for us a moment ago. And Paul starts to talk about what wisdom and power are, right, according to the message of Jesus. And in the city of Corinth, no, no less in the church in Corinth, um, there were displays of wisdom and power, and these were highly esteemed, you know. And, and Paul needed to bring a message to the church to remind them just what it means to be wise and powerful, 
right? And just who is um, wise and powerful according to the good news of Jesus Christ and according to his word. And so once again, the mood of the city of Corinth was not unlike the mood of our culture today, right? Power and wisdom was to the highly esteemed. There was a lot of Yodas getting around, you know, speaking uh, wise wise words, and, and um, one commentator says you could have found a wise person standing on, on every uh, street corner in, in the city of Corinth, right? This was kind of the place that it was. It was the place to go where you could hear messages of wisdom um, according to the world. The nobles, um, the, the highly esteemed, the educated, the intellectuals, the rich and the strong, they were all there, they were all present, and they all had their um, way of being wise, and being powerful. These were the, the Jeff Be- Bezos, or Bezos, however you say that, the Elon Musks of the city of Corinth, um, the Yodas, or whoever, whoever you can think of today that you think that, that seems to be, according to the world's standards, a wise and powerful person. It was anyone who displayed great intellect or the ability to explain things in a way that made sense of the experience of life. And so um, the key groups of people living in Corinth and also making up the church there were the Romans and Greeks or the Gentiles, and then there were the Jews as well. And both had their understanding of wisdom and power too. They had in their mind who was a powerful person or who was a wise person. And both of groups were struggling with the Christian message. And what the Christian message says is wisdom and power. And so as we start... As we started reading in verse 18, we see that Paul starts to outline um, the way that for Christianity and for followers of Jesus, the cross of Christ and Jesus crucified is wisdom and power. And this was uh, a very uncommon message in the city of Corinth. And it's a very uncommon message in our culture today, right? The message that God wanted to bring to the world And the message that Paul preached was that um, God the creator, right, the eternal, the all-powerful, the ever-present, the unmatched one, right, this is who God is, he was willing to send himself in the form of his son to be crucified. That does not sound very wise or powerful to the Greeks and the Romans and the Jews, right? And not only did they seem to be crucified, but to experience evil and judgment and human frailty, and death, so that all of creation and every person could find restoration and relationship, you know, and the thing, and, and, and the relationship with God that they were created for. This message, that's the gospel, right? This is the good news of Jesus Christ. That message was not a powerful message. It was not a, not a wise message, according to the people of Corinth. And so Paul is trying to remind them that actually this is exactly where power comes from. He says in verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, and he quotes Isaiah 29, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate, right? It it did not make sense to the Yodas on the street corners, this message of Christianity. 
Verse 20, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached, right? The message of Christianity seemed foolish that a powerful God would send himself to die on the cross for people who'd turn their backs to him, right? That seems like a foolish message to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So to the Jews, it was a stumbling block. And why was it? It's literally something they couldn't get past in their thinking, right? To be hung on a tree or on the cross was a curse, right? According to the Old Testament law, you can read it in Deuteronomy. And so they struggled with the idea that their Messiah, who they had very high hopes for as as Jewish people who were an oppressed group or the minority group, they were kind of hoping for their political uh, hero to come forth. They couldn't, they couldn't uh, reconcile the idea that their saviour, their Messiah, would, would end up on the cross. That he would grant them salvation through such a death. You know, it was not compatible with their, with their wisdom, with what they thought was the right thing. For the Greeks and Romans, the death on the cross was spared for the most con- contemptible people. You know, they couldn't fathom a saviour or a hero, no less God himself, um, you know, to be subjected to suffering like that. The hero was the one to them who displayed the most power. He was the one to them who, um, you know, was, was not going to be killed, was not going to end up crucified, was not going to be the one who was born in a lowly manger, you know, in humble conditions. That doesn't make sense. This was not according to their way of thinking and it was stupidity or foolishness to them. And Paul says in verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And I think what he's saying is this foolish thing about God's message, the cross, he says that's wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God, as in, as in the thing perceived to be weak about God's message, the cross, that's stronger than human strength. It has more power than what any, any human could do. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So Paul is saying here that if you thought that the wisdom of the world and influence and nobility are what makes you wise, then why did God choose a lowly birth for himself? You know, why did he lower himself out of heaven um, to be born in a lowly situation, you know, in the back blocks of Bethlehem? Why would God choose a display of weakness, such as being crucified? You know, is the core essence of what holds power for the Christian message. It says, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, 
who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. These are things that the cross has secured for us, right? Our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. And Paul elaborates on the wisdom of God as righteousness, holiness, and redemption. He's pointing to the cross again. He says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He's saying the message of Christianity is that God has secured salvation for us and the way he secured it for us actually disarms us of any power to secure it for ourselves, right? He he disarms us of um, any claim to strength and righteousness. Disarms us of any claim to wisdom. We're never gonna find salvation without the cross of Christ. That's what Paul is saying. And he's saying that's wisdom right there. And the lie of the city of Corinth and the lie of our culture today, isn't it? And you can, you know, whenever you see an advertisement, a good question to ask is what's the lie in this advertisement? (laughs) You know, it's worth looking out for. There's always a lie when you see an advertisement for anything, right? They always wanna trick you and make you believe in the lie, to make you buy their product, right? And the lie of our culture is, I'm gonna be fine on my own. You know, I can actually find salvation in my own way on my own. I don't need Jesus. And so if we wanna find relationship with our Creator, we have to humble ourselves, don't we? We have to accept that He's the one. It's only by Him. It's only by His grace. It's only by what He's done on the cross. Right? Through the cross, He has made us righteous. Through the cross, He's made us holy. Through the cross, He has redeemed us. And we, we couldn't pay that price for ourselves. And so the seemingly foolish act of God is wiser than the greatest human act of wisdom. The seemingly weak act of God is stronger than the greatest human feat of strength. And Paul says in the start of chapter two, he says, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, and you could imagine, um, I don't know if you remember who Paul was, right? He was Saul. He was the terrorist of the church. And, and God shows up and, and uh, says, no, actually, you're not gonna do that anymore. I've got a life for you. And, and he basically just grabs Paul out of, out of his wisdom and out of his way that he thought it should be, you know, ruining this, this sect of Judaism. And he says, no, 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 no. This is, this is the way to go. And so Paul's experienced this, being grabbed out of his own earthly wisdom and put into the wisdom of God and only by the grace of Christ, only by the grace of God and the act of the cross. He says, so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So there's a lot of people today who still think the message of Christ and Christianity is unwise and foolish, right? It's mocked and shamed. And unfortunately, there's no shortage of um, examples of uh, Christians being hypocritical, right? Or, or, or failing morally. And um, people use that as examples against the message of the cross and, and the message of Christ. But Paul reminds us there's two categories of people that he mentions at the start. He says, there's those who are perishing and there's those who are being saved. And depending on where you stand, you're gonna view the message of, of the cross of Christ differently, aren't we? Right, if you're perishing, it's just 
It's foolishness. It's a stumbling block. It's something you don't want to have to get past, right? It'll be the thing that you can't get past. But if you're being saved, we know from our experience it's the power and wisdom of God in our life. And so the type of questions we're asking ourselves today are, what does the example of Jesus taking up his cross have to do with my life? You know, if the cross of Jesus is the thing that displays God's wisdom and power, what paths am I taking in my life to gain wisdom and power and understanding? And so what are we to do? How does this apply to our life? In Mark's gospel, we see um, Jesus invites us to take up our own cross. And I think that's a fascinating idea. If the message of the cross of Christ is wisdom and power, you know, for our lives, if it's the path to salvation, Jesus invites us into that. He says, take up your own cross. And it's not just for our salvation, but I think it's for every hurdle in our life. In Mark chapter 8, um, there's this little conversation between Jesus and the disciples, and then, and then it zeroes in on Peter. Starting at verse 27, he says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Right now, remember, Peter, the Jewish man, he's got his ideas about who the Messiah should be. He says, you're the Messiah, Jesus. And Jesus warned them, don't tell anyone about him. Not yet, right? He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. <laughs> He's, the, the Jewish, the passionate Jewish man is saying, hold on, if you're the Messiah, how, you know, it's not going to work out the way that I think it should, that you're going to go to the cross and be killed. Right? That's, that's not part of the plan, Jesus. What are you talking about? You know? And, then, and it says, when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with holy angels. So if we want to see wisdom and power in our lives, not wisdom as, as in the wisdom of the world or not power as in the strength uh, uh, that comes with status and, and uh, powerful positions, but godly wisdom and godly power. You know, that's, that's, you know it's unmistakable when you, when you experience it. It prevails even while sort of undermining what would normally be wise to do in a certain situation. If we want that, 
We have to live in the way of the cross, right? We have to daily take up our cross. And this applies to relationships. You know, I think of Ephesians 5 where Paul says, um, you know, he uses the example of husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church, right? And, and what he really means, is, what he's really saying is become a sacrifice for others, right? That's the, that, do what Jesus did for everyone. That's the way of the cross, right? And in that, there's wisdom and power for our relationships. Loving others as we would normally love ourselves, right? And so if there's issues in our relationships, going the path of the cross is a good place to start. What sacrifice can I make for that person that I have an issue with? How can I show love to them in a self-giving way? Right, what can I give up? What way would I normally show love to myself, but I could actually give that to the other person? That's the way of the cross. That's application for our relationships. You know, other ways is... um, that this applies is just considering what to do about all various manner of decisions we have to make. You know, problems that arise. And Isaiah 55, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Right, and a couple of examples came to mind. When Gideon is trying to lead the Lord's army, you know, and he's, um, who's he fighting against? Does anyone remember? Is it the Philistines? I feel like it is. Well, let's say it is, and, he, and God tells him not to go with the sharpest swords that they have into battle, but he says, carry, is it pots, clay jars, and, and torches, right, into the camp of the enemy. And when you get there, just give a shout and break the pots, and, and, and you'll be fine, right? Not very wise idea to the commander of any army in that day, but this was God's plan, right? His ways are higher than our ways. And not to mention that crazy idea, right, in, in the wisdom of the world's eyes, but, but um, only go with 300 men, you know. He whittles down this great army that Gideon has with him just to, just to a few men, right. It doesn't seem like the wisest thing to do, but it's, it's God's plan, right, and that's the, that's the thing that we need to seek after. I think of Joshua marching around the walls of Jericho, you know, once a day for six days and then on the seventh day, seven times and have the priests out in front and they'll just blast their trumpets and give a shout and everything will be good, right? This is a crazy plan, right? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem wise, but it's God's plan. And so if we're not sure why something has happened or we don't know which path to take in life and we're seeking out God's plans for our life, you know, asking Him and trusting Him with what He, what he says, you know, with the conviction that he puts in our heart. Okay, maybe this is the way I need to go. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's the way of the cross. It's the wisdom of God in our life. They're not the natural way of doing things all the time. And often it's a way that will glorify him over and above what we could have done, right? That's usually how you know if you're on the path of of what God wants you to do. This is a way that will only glorify him and it won't glorify ourselves. Are we being the ones who are we the ones who are being shaped? Like I talked about last week, you know, on, on, like like clay in the potter's hands. Are we the ones being shaped? Because that usually is a is a telling sign of whether we're on a, a wise path according to God and the way of Christ. There's an old hymn 
that I found in my uh, research this week, and it's written by um, a lady called Jessie Pounds, and um, it was written in 1906, The Way of the Cross Leads Home. And I thought, oh, that's a good one. We should, um, I, I should read it for you just as a way of closing. And, and uh, you know, this is the funny thing about the message of Christianity is the way of the cross is the way home. The way of the cross is the way for us to, to go. And it's, it's different to what the world tells us. And it's different to what you'll read on, on Instagram and social media and all the rest of it. But, and it's different to what you'll hear out there in the world, but it's, it's, the way of, it's the way of the cross, it's the way of Jesus. It says this, I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall never get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. And the chorus says, the way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know as I onward go, the way of the cross leads home. I must needs go on in the blood-sprinkled way, the path that the Saviour trod. If I ever climb to the heights sublime where the soul is at home with God, then I bid farewell to the way of the world to walk in it nevermore. For the Lord says, come, and I seek my home where he waits at the open door. The way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know as I onward go, the way of the cross leads home. And so I wonder about what you're going through this week and what's ahead of you in the week ahead. And I wonder what God's leading you to do and how you, where your relationships are at and what response you could make to this idea that the cross of Christ that's where wisdom and power is found for our own lives. So let's pray. Let's respond to God. Let's see what he wants for us this week. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you that you set an example for us that is unlike any other. We thank you that you first just secured salvation for us in a way that disarms us of any need that we have to fulfill, that our salvation is secure in you and who, who you are and what you've done for us. And so we, we first just bring praise to you for that, God. We thank you for the cross and the way that you brought us righteousness, right standing before you. You brought us holiness, you know, to be able to be useful and set apart for you, God. And you brought us redemption. You paid the price for us, God. And we know that we could not have done that by ourselves. And that's a wise plan that only you could have created for us and for your people. And so we just first bring praise to you for that, God. And now, Lord, where we need wisdom and where we need power in our lives to bring transformation in relationships and in decision-making and the paths that we're leading in this life, Lord, we ask, for, we ask for your wisdom. We ask for that same wisdom of the cross to be washing over our lives. And where that means we need to make sacrifices, I pray that you point that out where that means we need to give things up that we would normally like to do. I pray that you point that out for us, God. Where that means we have to give up our preferences. Um, yeah, Lord, help us, help us to understand that in our relationships and in our, in our decision-making. And Lord, we call for wisdom and we ask for it, a special type of wisdom and a special path, kind of like the wisdom you gave to Gideon 
and to Joshua and to every other example in the Bible, Lord. We need that kind of wisdom for everyday life, Lord. Help us to know what to do and we place ourselves in your hands, God. We wanna be shaped by you and that be the marker of our, our lives. Help us to follow the way of the cross. We pray that in your name, amen.